Christmas can get uh, kind of complicated, can it? Um, it's just, uh, it's amazing to me. And, um, and if you're watching online or maybe you're in-house and, uh, and you, you kind of came under duress here, maybe someone just said, you're coming to church with me, and they had you in a headlock. Maybe they said, hey, there's someone cute, you need to meet them. And so you're like, okay, whatever, I can endure a church service if there's someone cute. Um, however they got you here or however you are watching. Maybe you're skeptical of the Bible. You're not really a Bible person, not into Jesus, not, not sure about any of, any of this faith stuff. Or maybe um, you went to church as a child, and so you had a child, you know, childhood faith, but then you became an adult, and you looked at the Christmas story, and you're like, I don't think so. And, uh, and, and, and you moved on, because everything kind of, you know, for you, it, it's like, I can't I can't accept things or I can't put my trust in, in, in stuff that isn't natural, that, that is miraculous, that, that can't be explained through nature and, uh, and, and science. And so you're just like, I'm, I'm out. And that's totally understandable. I, and in fact, I hope that you look at what's natural and, and you look at what is hard evidence. Um, and, and if that's you, you should really watch last week's message because um, that's exactly what we talked about. We talked about the fact that it was impossible. If you're, if you're not really sure how the Bible was put together, and, uh, and so you kind of are of the thought that maybe there was a group of guys that got together and, and put the thing together and sold a bunch of copies, made a bunch of money, and, and, uh, and it was a get-rich get scheme and pyramid, and you're thinking, you know, and, which would be understandable. But when you actually investigate it and realize that Christmas didn't start with a couple that couldn't figure out how they got pregnant. It started with a couple that couldn't get pregnant. It didn't start with a couple that couldn't figure out where to have a baby. It started with a couple that didn't think they would ever have a baby. The Christmas, when you look at the backstory of Christmas that happened 2,090 years before Jesus, when you actually look at the story of it, it is not only unbelievable, it is remarkable and the hard evidence that God had promised this guy named Abraham, he gave him this promise, and he said, hey, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And if you want hard evidence, natural evidence, you can actually get online and buy a ticket while you're watching me if you really want to, and you could fly there. That's hard evidence. That's like, whoa, okay, well, yeah, that's, that's what I'm looking for. That, that's great. The other thing that God promised Abraham is that he would become famous, that his name would become a household name. Everyone would know, you know what, had heard of Abraham. And here we are over 4,000 years since Abraham on the other side of the planet, on the other side of a planet they didn't even know existed. And here we are, and everyone pretty much has heard of the guy named Abraham. You're like... Okay, that's, that's two hard evidences. That's, 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 that's remarkable. That's good stuff. The third thing that God promised Abraham is that through him, through the nation of Israel, and through his lineage, every single person on the planet would be blessed. To which you're thinking, okay, well, two out of three is not bad. I mean, that's not bad. Two out of three, that's a pretty good percentage. I mean... I mean, if you were shooting three-pointers, you'd probably take that. But, um, um, and so, you know, you're kind of like, well, I, I don't know. 
But this, this is what's amazing. And even the nation of Israel would have thought, you know what, for you know, a thousand years after Abraham, they're like, we are never going to be in a place where we're going to bless the entire you know, planet, every single person. That, that is totally not going to happen and unrealistic. And when they were as low as they could possibly be, Jesus sent a son, his son, to this earth. And, and, and this is what's remarkable. Um, Luke records it for us and, and says, In the city of David, a Savior has been born for all the people. Every single person on the planet not only have you, Abraham, been a great nation, become a great nation, and not only does everyone know your name 4,000 years later, but through Jesus, every single person on the planet has been blessed. And see, the question, who needs Christmas? The world needs Christmas. I need Christmas. You need Christmas. All of you watching online, you need Christmas. Because here's the thing, um, and I understand it, as we kind of get into December, some of you hate December, and some of you hate Christmas, and, and, uh, and it's difficult, and, and, and maybe it's difficult because of a loss in your family. Maybe, um, you know, it's just not the way it used to be, and, and, and it's hard, or maybe you lost someone. I lost my dad like a week before Christmas. It's just kind of weird, you know, and it, and it was close, and and, and it kind of messes things around a little bit. And, and, and so maybe, maybe it's because of loss. Maybe it's because you're just like, I, I, I just don't like Christmas because I have to get together with my family. And my family is so dysfunctional that I just don't look forward to getting together with them. And some of you, it's like, I don't, I don't look forward to Christmas because it's so hectic and, and I have to get all of these presents and we have all these kids and we got to make sure that every kid has the same exact amount of presents, you know, and, and they're all kind of sort of the same value and we got to get it all equitied out and, and all of this stuff. And, and, and then you run into the school thing and the church thing and the other thing. And, and speaking of the other thing, um, if you have a child, they're going to be singing on stage next week. And if you want information about that, you're supposed to talk to Carissa. <laughs> I remembered. Okay. So um, there you go. My mind is weird. Anyway, so, you, you know, Christmas is just bizarre and, and, and all of this stuff. But here's the thing. Here's what it should push you to. See, it, it's almost like all of that stuff wants to push us away from Christmas. But here's what I would invite for you. Allow it to push you towards it. The more dysfunctional your family is, the, 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 loss, the, 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 the degree to which you have lost in your life um, over this last year should be the degree to which you actually are pushed towards Christmas. It is the reason Jesus came, because we are so dysfunctional. We, we are so toxic sometimes. And, and I was seeing this even rising up in me in the last couple of days Jen and I went down uh, to Kansas on Friday night. It was late Friday night, and, uh, and we were going to watch Shane play his basketball game, last basketball game of the semester, and then we were going to move him back for, the, for about a month um, as he's back here. And so we're heading down there. It's late Friday night, and, uh, and we've been having this weird thing going on with, with our car, 
And, uh, and, and there's a backstory to that. The reason that we're having issues with, with our car has really nothing to do with the car. It has a horrible decision made by me on a very early um, 4 o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning, um, because we have an, a, an Equinox that's a diesel. I know it's weird, but we have a diesel Equinox. And, uh, and it requires death. Well, four in the morning before I was coming to uh, COZED, I put death in the diesel tank. And so it was my fault. And we've been having issues with the car ever since. And so um, we're, we've been having this weird deal. And we get to York and we're turned south. And it's like, gosh, it sure smells like diesel. But there's quite a, quite a few truck stops there. And I'm thinking, maybe it's the truck stops, you know? And... That really smells a lot like diesel, but, and so we keep going, and, and the smell goes away, I'm thinking, okay, and, and, and we're going, and Jen's like, you know, the, the fuel gauge is, is, is going down way faster, because that thing gets, it gets 40 miles a gallon, and, and I mean, you can go forever almost on a tank of fuel with that thing, and, and, and so um, because I had been working long, long hours trying to get the kitchen all put in, It's Friday night, and Jen is driving. The only reason she's driving is because I am putting this message together, and I'm trying to drive, you know, trying to ride in a car and trying to to work on electronic devices, and it's just, it's just not working very well, and it's not coming together the way I want it to come together, and it's just kind of a mess. And now, you know, there's obviously something going on with the car, and and the belt was sounding funny, which I'm kind of like, okay, and I'm starting to put some pieces together. We finally stopped because we actually had to put fuel in the car. I opened the hood, and the whole engine compartment has diesel all over on it. And I'm like, okay, well, <clears throat> so what am I going to do? Um, and, uh, and so the car was running fine, so we're just like, well, let's just get to Salina. We had a hotel already there, and it was non-refundable, of course. And so, you know, you're kind of like, I'm getting to Salina. I don't care if I blow up the car. And, uh, and so, you know, we get to Salina, and, and just this angst is kind of coming up inside of me. It's just like, doggone it, you know? And, and, uh, and, and so then the next day, I call four or five different places in Salina thinking, hey, you know, they, they would look at it for me. And I, was, I gave them the sad story, you know, we're going down, you know. They're kind of like, well, we can see it in two weeks. Okay, well, that's not going to work. This is Saturday. Nobody answered. Do you realize no staff answers my phone on Saturday? None of them. They just won't answer it. They're like, that's Eric. I am not answering my phone. Saturday, I am not taking over for him. So, so, you know, we're kind of like, we've got to figure out how we're going to get home, and we got this situation. We end up going to Hillsboro to the, you know, 2,500 people in this town to a Ford dealership. They look at it. It's just a return line, um, you know, that has a hole in it. Great. They put a new one on there. I'm thinking um, we're golden. And then they're kind of like, um, no, actually, there must be some other blockage. In fact, that's why you had a hole in the return line. And so, you know, I'm just like, oh, what are we going to do? And, and then I'm trying to think through, you know, we could take you know, Shane's car and he could stay and and then take it home, you know, take the Equinox home on Monday or Tuesday, and they're like, no, no, it, it doesn't work like that. It'll probably be two weeks. <laughs> okay, well, I, Shane's not going to stick around here for two more weeks uh, waiting. And so um, I rednecked a return fuel line up and over the top of my car. The dealership said, um, 
I'll tell you what, I'll sell you the the fuel line, and you can use some tools, but we are not having anything to do with this. So going on back, and then I just stuck it right back in my tank so I didn't have to, you know, go through so much diesel. All of that to say, it's just just life brings some angst, doesn't it? And and here's the thing. Part of us, it it makes us want to run away from Christmas, but it should actually make us run towards it. The, the more I see the ugliness that's inside of me that events and circumstances may come up and out of me that are in me, the more I need Christmas, the more I need to celebrate it, the more I am grateful for it. But we aren't the only ones that needed Christmas. I don't know if you know this, but God needed Christmas. You're like, what? How, why did God need Christmas? See, God needed Christmas to document and, demus- and dem- demonstrate. I did that before. Demonstrate how he felt about us. God needed Christmas to, to document and demonstrate how he felt about us. Think about this. Those of you who have had teenagers, junior high and, and through those teenage years, I mean, is, this, this is just mind-boggling to me, but this is exactly what's going on with God and us, is, is we as parents... We have been junior hires, and we have been teenagers, and we so want to keep our junior hires and teenagers from experiencing the things that we experienced, and we so want to give them the, the, the perspective. We so want them to view themselves as we view them and view their potential as we see their potential and, 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 and trust us. And so that's why we say no to these things, and we say no to these things, and we say no, you can't go over there, and no, you can't go on that thing, and, and we want them to trust us, and they look at us like, what do you know? You know, this is really surprising to you, but I was a teenager once, <laughs> like 25 years ago, I mean, it's, See, and, we're, and we want them to trust us, but we just can't seem to get them to do it, right? Think about your heavenly Father, who is spirit. He is a spirit God. And here we are in this material, physical, touch it, see it world. How does a God who is spirit communicate to a, a people that are, that are material, to see him and see us the way he sees us and to get us to a place where we would trust him. Think about it. How, how does he do that? How does he get us to that place? See, the Apostle Paul, he kind of teases this out for us in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. So, I'm going to jump around a little bit, but we're, we're going to go through a few verses in, in Galatians. If you have your paper Bibles, you can look at it there. If you have it on your phone, you can look at it there as well. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, but when the right time came, God sent his son. When, when God had things just the way that he wanted them, he sent his son into the world. But why? Why did God have to come to earth? Why why couldn't he just stay in heaven and, you know, send another prophet, 
Send another message. Have someone else write another sacred text. I mean, why did he have to come? Even more questions. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman. Why, why did he have to be born of a woman? Subject to the law. Why did he have to come under the law? Why, why did he have to come subject to the law? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, why God in a baby's bod? Why God in a bod? Why, why did he have to come that way? Why show up like all of us? Why come as a baby? Why come accountable to the law instead of a law unto himself? Why didn't he just show up and just say, <clears throat> I'm Jesus, I've been sent from God, you all are under the law, but I'm above the law. I can do whatever I want, but you can't. Why didn't he just do that? <laughs> I think the way I said it explains it quite well why he didn't do that, right? See, so interesting. God needed Christmas to do what laws, prophets, judges, warnings, exiles, punishment, and even sacred texts could not do. Paul goes on, Galatians 4, verse 5. God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us. Why did he send him? He sent him to buy our freedom. Who were slaves to the law. We were slaves to the law. We, 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 we just, as we took the law and it reflected back to us and we're like, whoa. In fact, over the last couple of days and all of the events and things that I had going on and trying to get it all ironed out and all of this just mm, that was coming up inside of me, if I would have taken the law and looked at, you know, had it reflect back at me, it was like, oh, Eric, you're ugly. That's ugly. That's, that's, that's bad. But I'm just a slave to it. To buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. Why? So that he could adopt us as his very own children. There was a huge obstacle in between us and God, and that huge obstacle is sin. And, and, and sometimes we think God just sent Jesus to remove that obstacle. Yes, he, re, he, he, he sent Jesus to remove that obstacle so that we could have you know, fellowship with God, but that's not the end game. That's not the end game of why he sent Jesus. The end game is because he wanted to do something so relational, so personal. He wanted to adopt us into his family as one of his children. You see, God needed Christmas to set in motion an event in history that would remove the obstacle, sin, to unrestricted fellowship with God. This was personal. So he had to come in person. You see, when, when, you, when you visit the crossing for the first time, and, and you fill out a, a card that says, hey, I, I, you know, I was here, um, and, and you give us your, your address, uh, one of the things I love to do and, and, and try to do is, is write you a personal note and say, hey, thank you for, for gathering with, with the crossing. Now, um, here's what's bizarre about writing you a personal note. I am fully aware, in case you're wondering, um, and, and now you know who it came from because um, probably you had no idea who it came from because it's completely in, illegible. You can't read it. 
I mean, my handwriting is so bad that I look at, at it after I, I wrote it, and I'm the one that wrote it, and I can't even read it. I'm like, oh, that's just bad. That's, that's awful. So if you were reading it and you're like, somebody signed this, but I have no idea who it was, that was me. Um, so why would I write you a personal note knowing full well you can't read it? Because it's personal. And we appreciate that, don't we? We, we, I mean, I could send you an email or I could send all of the visitors for that week a, a group text, but that wouldn't be nearly as personal. That wouldn't cost me anything. It, it's, it's like, no, someone who's willing to sit down and actually write a note as illegible as it is, that, that means something. That, that's personal. And how is God, who is spirit, going to try to communicate to us how much he loves us and how much he is for us and how much he wants a relationship with us and how close he wants to be to us. It was personal, so he needed to come in person. So at just the right time, God staged a documented demonstration. It had to be documented it had to be documented. It had to be a demonstration in history, an event in history that, that was so big that someone would actually document it and, and, and for all future generations. And think about this. How many events have happened, important history events have happened over the last 2,000 years? Answer, we have no idea. You know why? There have been so many unbelievable you know what, life-changing events that have happened over the last 2,000 years, and most of us have no idea what any of them are because they haven't been written down or passed along, and they've just gone away. And here we are, 4,000 years from Abraham, 2,000 years from Jesus, and a baby born in the armpit of the Roman Empire, we're still talking about him. That's phenomenal. So God, he, he, he staged a demonstration with, which the Apostle Paul, who it just is amazing to me, he had to have thought as he's writing this letter to the Romans, which is, I mean, Paul is brilliant. You read the, you, you read the book of Romans and it's just, it's brilliant. And he had to have just been amazed at how personal it was that God staged this demonstration that Jesus staged this demonstration while Paul was still sinning. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul says, But God demonstrates, there's our word, his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinning, while we were still in our sin." God didn't wait for us to get our life together. God didn't wait for us to start going to church all the time. God didn't wait for us to get life figured out and, and, and iron out the dysfunctions in us. God didn't wait for us while we were still in our sin and while we were still stiff-arming him and while we were still choosing sin, he died for us. And as Philip Yancey says, he took an extraordinary risk announcing forgiveness beforehand with no guarantee that we would ever say yes and accept the forgiveness for us. You see, 
Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection are documented demonstrations that he is for us. He demonstrated that he was for us before we ever had the opportunity to decide if we would ever be for him. But, but why die? Why did Jesus have to die? Why didn't he just declare everyone forgiven? Why such a public death? Why, why so violent? Why the gore? Why the blood? Why, why did he have to bleed out? I mean, why, why was it such a public spectacle? Why didn't God, why didn't Jesus just show up and say, God my Father has sent me, and, I, and, and he just wants all of you to know you're forgiven. Got to go. Why, why didn't he just show up and announce forgiveness? <laughs> well, a couple of reasons. One, no one would have believed him. Why? You read the New Testament, and, and there was times when Jesus would heal someone, and then he would say, oh, and by the way, your sin is forgiven. To which the religious leaders would freak out over that. They were like, who do you think you are? You, can't, you can explain to someone else how they should forgive someone else, but you can't just blanket forgive people's sins. You don't, ha you don't have that authority. Who do you think you are just forgiving sins? See, we would have never taken him seriously if he just showed up and said, hey, everyone's sins forgiven. Here you go. I'm out. But there's a more important reason. And maybe it's a reason you've never thought of, and maybe this is a question you've never thought. So if, if you're you know, running back for another drink or you're making another pancake, come back in. Those of you in-house, in this is so huge. And maybe you've never thought about this, and, and, and this might land on you kind of weird, but I hope that you'll think it, think it through, and I'll try my best to try and explain this. Um, God is the author of life. No matter how you think life began and or how long you think it you know, took for it to begin, no matter what your background is or how you take that, God is the author of life. And when we dishonor and disrespect the author of life, we forfeit our right to the life that's been authored. It's kind of like this. You want to give your three-year-old a good gift. And so you give them a piece of candy. And they look at it, and they throw it on the ground. And you're like, what's wrong with that? Well, it was peppermint, and I wanted wintergreen. You see, I realize there's a new book to parenting that I don't necessarily ascribe to, so the, the new book of parenting might be, well, just keep giving them more candy, keep trying. Um, the old book of parenting was like, your ingratitude has forfeited your right to any piece of candy. See, we dishonor and disrespect the author of life. We forfeit our right to the life 
that's been authored. So much of our life, see, we, we owe God our life. When we get up in the morning, the first thing that we should do is just be like, God, thank you for my life. Because we didn't get to choose when we came into this world, and we will not choose when we leave this world. And every single breath in between is given to us by the author of life. But so much of our life, we live stiff-arming the author of life, not being grateful for the author of life, not being grateful for the life that's been given, not being grateful for the very breath that I'm breathing, not being grateful. We dishonor it and we disrespect it. And this debt-to-debtor relationship is established. We owe God and we owe God our very life, the very life that he gave us. And this is what's amazing. Don't miss this. Instead of us paying a debt that would cost us our lives, God demonstrated his great love for us sinners, but it cost him his life. See, Peter, James, and John, the guys, before the resurrection, they... they, didn't put the dots together, but after the resurrection, I mean, it didn't take them long, and all of a sudden, they start connecting the dots, and they go to the very people who crucified Jesus, and this is what they tell them. You rejected this holy, righteous one, and instead demanded the release of a murderer. Jesus came to give you life, and instead of that life, instead of someone who wanted to give you life, you chose someone who took someone else's life. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 18, he says, no one can take my life from me. I voluntarily lay it down, and my Father in heaven has given me the authority to take it back up from the dead. No one can take my life from me. How silly of you to think that you could kill the author of life. See, in this documented huge demonstration of God's extraordinary love for us, Jesus' death, I don't know if you've thought about this, but Jesus' death demonstrated the magnitude of our ingratitude. But it also demonstrated the magnitude of his love for us. And crossing, those of you online, don't miss this. And we know this is true. See, you and I, we cannot demonstrate love without sacrifice. It's impossible. You cannot demonstrate love without giving something up. You cannot demonstrate love without sacrificing something. It's the very definition of of love. I I can't love and be completely selfish. It's, it's, It's impossible. But you can't demonstrate great love without great sacrifice. And God sacrificed his own son, and Jesus willingly laid down his life for every single one of us. 
so that we could have life. And we could have this close, intimate relationship with our heavenly dad. So interesting. Paul says it this way, Romans chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. I mean, you might die for your spouse. You might die for your children. I mean, you might, you might die for them. You might die for someone who's especially good. But would you be willing to die for the person who has hurt you the most in this life? Would you be willing to die for the person who hates you? They can't, they despise you. Would you be willing to lay your life down for them? Absolutely not. But God. But God showed his great love. He put on a demonstration for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still God needed Christmas to stage a demonstration of his intense love for us and to document it for all future generations, an event in history that could never be erased or taken away. Matthew records it for us, chapter 1, verse 20. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, the prophet Isaiah, who lived 750 years before Jesus, and this is what Isaiah said, look, The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And God is with every single one of you, and God is with every single one of you that's watching online. And we never have to wonder because of an event in history that can never be erased and never be taken away. And because of that event in history, we never, ever, ever, ever have to wonder if God is for us or if God loves us. Because he proved it. Crossing. As chaotic and as bizarre and as dysfunctional as Christmas becomes with you and your family and extended ones and maybe loss. And even in yourself and the things that rise up in you that you don't even like about yourself, don't let it make you run away from Christmas. Let it make you run toward it. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for Christmas. Thank you that Jesus was willing to come, born of a woman, born under the law, just like we are. And he had to be, so that he could pay the price that we owed, 
God, I pray that uh, in the middle of the chaos, and sometimes it's hard for us to focus in on what's truly important this time of year, I pray that that all of that would actually push us towards you and not away. God, I pray for us as a church that you would help us to walk with people. No matter where they're at and, and, and no matter what uh, hang-ups and, and, and things that they have in their life, realizing that's exactly why Jesus came. So God, thank you for that grace and mercy. Help us to extend it to others. In Jesus' name. Amen.